Hi, welcome to Talking in the Rain. I'm your host, Saira Unju, and today my guest is actor Carla Pokorati, but she does way more than just acting, and we delve into all of that in this episode. We talk about how she got started performing, how she got into acting. We talk about her project, Recontextiled. Um, we get into how being part of a team and how sports and theater are similar uh, originating her role in Juliet a revenge comedy which you can catch in Vancouver in February by the way and we talk about her multiple roles in Snow White which she currently is playing in you can catch her playing I think 15 <laughs> roles uh, as part of Carousel Theater's Snow White until the end of December and it was lovely chatting with Carly and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did recording. Let's get started. Let's do a quick little introduction. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and then we can get into my questions? Sure. Uh, my name is Carly Pokorati. I am an artist. I'm an actor, director, collaborator, comedian, clown person. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm super happy to be here talking to you today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so you're a graduate of Studio 58. Um, so you studied performing. Were you always interested in performing? Did you grow up performing yeah how did you decide to pursue this career um yeah well I danced a lot when I was a kid my mom's cousin actually owned a dance studio so my very first time performing in front of an audience I was three and um at the end of the number at the end of the dance little tab number we were supposed to blow kisses and that was how we finished it and I kept blowing kisses to the audience and the curtain closed behind me and then I was the only kid left on stage and then I credit to my younger self just calmly found the break in the curtain and left the stage so that was the first time I I guess I got a taste for it um <laughs> And so, yeah, I did that a lot when I was growing up. Grateful to my cousin Heather for, you know, teaching me, teaching me to dance. And then, um, and then I just got into it, I guess, more, it, it, not until high school was I really, um, did I start, that's when we didn't really have like a drama program in elementary school. We didn't really get to do that where I grew up. Um, so I, I took drama for the first time in high school and I was like, well, I'm pretty into this thing. And then I also was in, I played a lot of sports in high school. So, so I always really liked being part of a team and, um, you know, kind of working towards a common goal in that way. And then finding that camaraderie with, um, you know, with a group of people. And then the first time I was in a play, I was like, oh, we're doing the same thing we're working towards something and we're all working collaboratively and and kind of like we're all bringing our unique talents to this and we're not competing for anything we're doing it <laughs> with a different goal in mind um so I remember finding that like sense of uh that same sense of like belonging and and teamwork and thinking oh wow this can go towards art as well um so that's when I started I guess um going down that path and veering away from sports and then yeah and then I went to university and did some theater there studied theater and the university I went to was was quite theoretical and so when I went into that I was like oh, I'm gonna be a professor of theater and then I quickly was like oh no 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 I don't want to write papers about this I want to do it actually so and that's what led me to going coming out here to to study at studio so yeah it was like it was a little meandering path but it was good well you found your way yeah, yeah. 
That's amazing. Where did you grow up? Uh, in Hamilton, Ontario. How are you liking when? So I'm sorry, I don't know when you started studio. So how long have you been in Vancouver for? I celebrated my 10 years in Vancouver last winter. So it'll be 11 in January, which is wild to think. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're in Vancouver right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell my parents that. They're not as pleased <laughs> that I live out here now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you thought you would teach like you would be a professor of theater did you <laughs> did you have any like because theater it's been around for so long and there are so many like different varieties did you have like anything in mind that you were especially interested in uh not that I recall um I think I, I like I, I'm, I'm a big nerd in general. So when there's something I like, I I like want to know everything about it, and that I can really easily geek out about it. And there were just um, in when I was in university, it was the first time I learned about the concept of dramaturgy, and so like the idea of like picking a play apart with that particular lens, and so. I was interested in play analysis, essentially. So, um, and, you know, we get to do that as actors, we get to do that as a director. So it was the first time I think I I really was able to see people and myself, like, dig my teeth into a text. And so that's what really got me excited about the more academic route. And and then I was like, oh, wait, you get to do this as a designer. You get to do this. And you have to do that in order to bring the play to life. Um as a, a theater practitioner so I think it was more the idea I was like oh like let, let's really get into this and like see what makes it tick and break it apart and then that shifted yeah cool yeah and you don't only like act and direct you've also you've you've I feel like you've worked in like every aspect of theater you've done costumes stage management first of all how did that happen did you like want to try everything to see how they are or was it more so just want to be involved with theater in any way <laughs> I, I mean little column a little column b um I think one thing that I really love about the training that studio afforded me was they really emphasize that each of us are artists and I, I never called myself really an artist. I was like, no, I'm an actor, you know, I'm a performer. But um, then going to studio, they really championed the fact that it's like, yeah, no, you have a vision. You're a unique individual person in the world and you bring your own particular artistry to the work that you do. And so that was really wonderful. And also the first three terms of going to Studio 58, you're not on the main stage. You're actually um, like I my very first show that I did there, I learned how to sew corsets and um, bloomers and all of that. So we were working on the costumes for it and I learned carpentry and I learned how to hang lights. And so, it, you know, going back to saying like what I was saying about being part of a team, I think it gives the folks that graduate from that program a really well-rounded holistic understanding of all of the parts that take it takes to make a play because um you know there can be some and I'm not talking about anyone in particular but you can you can it's easy to be like really egotistical as an upper as an actor because you're the person that's on the stage but there's so much more that that you're you're like the last part <laughs> is the person doing the show like the people are doing production meetings months and months before the actors even get into the room the designers are dreaming up what they're going to do so getting to kind of dip my hands into all of those production pieces at school was really lovely and and I 
I love sewing. I was like, oh, I really like this. And I continue to do it. And it, it also empowers me as an artist and, and folks that have that understanding to like make our own work too and not be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to wait to get cast in something or, or feel like powerless because you have to wait for an audition posting to come out. You can be like, actually, you know, I, I, I can direct this myself or I can write something for myself and perform in it. So that's, that's goals. That's, <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, talking about creating yourself, you're actually part of a comedy duo called The Dangerous <laughs> James. <laughs> um, yeah, tell tell me a little bit about Dangerous James. How did you two get together? And is there anything you would like to do in the future as a duo? Yeah, oh, that's my sweet, sweet buddy. Alex Gullison is the other half of that. And uh, we actually were cast in a show so together um a monster theater show called the Canada show and we just clicked right away like we we had really good chemistry offstage and on stage like we just had really great physical comedy and timing together and and so we've done a lot of shows after that together and then we started improvising as a duo as well and I love performing with Alex she's so fun she can like tease me on stage in the best way which I think makes for great comedy and so yeah we've done some we've, we've performed together as improvisers and we've done some sketch work together as well and it, we'd love to eventually do a full-length show we've toured together through the Fringe Festival with Monster Theatre um, in some two-hander shows or one two-hander show after the Canada show but yeah we'd love to keep getting to do that and, and putting our stuff out there making each other it's like we get to make each other laugh on stage which is makes the audience laugh for the That's most part <laughs> yeah in a lot of the cases you're like you know trying not to break don't laugh on stage but then when you're really good friends with your stage partner it's really difficult I love that Ooh. you get to do the exact opposite <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah and was it with monster theater that you did Juliet a revenge comedy that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. So Juliet <laughs> comedy premiered. And also, if I'm wrong with any of these, please correct me. <laughs> sure. I did it. I did a little <laughs> a deep dive on your Instagram and all of the dates and everything I found were just simply from posts. <laughs> so yeah. And I'm not a very good Instagrammer. So I, I applaud you because I don't post. I'm not a very good uh, self-promoter I gotta get better at that <laughs> oh that's okay it's not for everyone yeah, yeah. So, so anyway Juliet and <laughs> comedy premiered 2019 in Winnipeg you performed a live reading from home in 2020 and then you toured with it last year also I believe you won a pick of the French as well yeah yeah which is amazing and so tell me about that experience what was it like from you know performing it in person to doing it at home to touring with it what was that experience like yeah first of all I love that show it's one of my favorite shows I've ever gotten to do it was written by Pippa Mackey and Ryan Gladstone and uh the incredible part about it is that 
I got asked to be in it by those two who also star in it with me. So it's a three-hander. And um, I was the first actor to get to do that role. So I got to originate the role. And not only that, I play multiple characters in, in the play. I think it's like over 14 characters, maybe 17. We've counted it, but it's up there. Um, so I got to, uh, along with my collaborators, like figure out, okay, how does this character live in my body? What's their voice like? And just build that from scratch. Um, so that was so fun. Um, we did that, I guess it would have been maybe May, June, 2019, right before we took it on the road. And I remember building it it's so funny to think about now because I've been doing, it's the show I've been doing kind of the longest in my career or coming back to, but I remember building it with Ryan and Pippa and being like, okay, we've got it. And we knew it was good, but we hadn't ever had it in front of an audience and, and it's a comedy. <laughs> so you need that feedback in, in the moment. And I remember going on like right before going on stage in Winnipeg at the King's Head pub being like, okay, here we go. Let's do it. Let's see how this kind of shakes out. And it was great. And we learned a lot from doing it for our first audience. So we kind of like, you know, not major things didn't change, but we were like, Oh, let's fix this moment. Or maybe this could happen. And, um, and then that develops that summer really nicely. We did it in Winnipeg. And we did it in Edmonton that year in 2019. And then we were set to do a little BC tour of it that I guess it would have been spring 2020. Of course, that didn't happen. And we were lucky enough to get a National Arts Centre spot for um, doing it online over Zoom at like the very beginning, I think it might have been. April. So it was like very much at the start of people performing on Zoom. And so we figured out how to restage it. It was fun to do and also so wild because it's such a physical show. Like it's mostly Pippa and I through the whole show and Pippa plays Juliet. And I play all of these other women from Shakespeare that she kind of encounters along the way, like Lady Macbeth, Ophelia, Cleopatra, um, and Miranda from The Tempest are the main gals. And so, so when you're on stage, you know, I, Juliet can stand and I can move around her and I can kind of embody these people. But doing that in these little boxes on Zoom was a very different challenge. So we had a lot of fun doing that online and figuring out how to work it. Like I think for the dagger, we used Pippa just like pulled a spatula from her kitchen and we did that. And that was quite funny. I remember actually, because it was, you know, April 2020, we we started it at like 630 Pacific time so at 7 p.m we were in the show and that's when we were all like clapping for healthcare workers so we literally like stopped the show in the reading and, we're, and went and brought our pots and pans and like did it online and people did it with us and it was at a time that we were feeling so scared and so uncertain about what was happening and and so distanced it was it was really nice to like feel that connection because because we had toured it the summer before to the fringe we had people tuning in from Winnipeg and Edmonton or or other places in the country who had been like oh you should watch the show it's quite funny so my parents got to watch it from Ontario so it was really special to get to do that again and and then finally we got to do it again last summer I remember thinking in the pandemic being like when I'm in the King's Head pub <laughs> performing again, that's when I'll know that like things are like starting to 
to be, you know, closer to normal. Um, so getting to to do it again and and take it back to those places and to some new places was really fantastic last summer. And we got to do it in Vancouver last summer, which was the first time we've done it here. And we're doing it actually in February at, at the College too. So we'll we'll get to bring it home in a in a bigger way soon, which is really wonderful. Yeah. Oh my God, I have so many questions. <laughs> First of all, you said 14, 17 characters. I, I mean, okay, I'm kind of confused because the play I'm doing now, I know I do over 14. and But I, I think oh there might be, I think it, it's definitely plus 14. How, <laughs> how do you prepare for so many characters? Do you sit down with your director for every single one of them? Or is it kind of more so you do the work yourself and then you polish it with your director? How, how did it? slash does it all work out <laughs> it's a great question um it's different I've done multiple shows like this I guess this is kind of my brand now which I'm not complaining about I love it it's truly an actor's dream but so for Juliet the characters were characters that we knew right like they existed in the canon so I do like I said those women that I said um Lady M Ophelia Cleopatra Miranda and then also I am all the characters in Romeo and Juliet because at the top of the show Pippa's playing Juliet and I play Romeo I play her parents I play Benvolio Mercutio and like all of these people so so they're all characters that exist in some form or another so you know I watched um the Boz Lerman Romeo and Juliet to get some of like okay what are we pulling from here and then I really I'm a really physical actor so I like to get up on my feet and and embody them and and figure out okay like how does this person hold themselves and how do they how do they interact with other people how do they stand how do they walk yeah for that process we did I remember <laughs> I did a Scottish accent for Lady M and free getting into the rehearsal hall it was just like a very very rough draft of the show and Ryan and Pippa and I just read it and I didn't I had not done any work on my Scottish accent and I was like well I'll just give it a go and it was like all over the globe like nowhere near the British Isles like just not Scottish and I was like I'll get it you guys promise I promise I'll get it and I got it eventually but it, they were like, I'm happy they continued to keep me in the play because they weren't deterred by that terrible accent so that that's you know kind of trial and error and figuring it out on my feet is like how I like to work best with having done like all of the paperwork like kind of like the thinking through their backstories and like their journeys through the play previously before rehearsal and then getting into the rehearsal hall and and getting on the feet and seeing okay how does this sound how does this work and I'm really collaborative so I'm like very open to being like can you do that like what's that voice can you can you do this please and then I like listen and I'm like oh yeah can I do that so yeah fun and you will mention that the show you're currently in you're also playing multiple characters mm -hmm. which um let's get into right now so you're in Snow White with the Carousel Theater who are some of the characters you're playing yeah so Kat who's in this with me who is brilliant, is Snow White. She plays Snow White and um, we kind of have base characters. So Kat plays Snow White and I play dwarf number four. And that's how we start the show. And the conceit of the show is that these two pals are going to put on the show of Snow White with a full cast, with all the other dwarves, with, you know, somebody playing perhaps a stepmother, you know, we're ready to do this other version of the show and then nobody shows up but us two 
So Snow White convinces dwarf number four, like, hey, listen, we, the people are here. Like they're, they're in their seats right now. They can see us. Like we have to tell them the story. And I am reticent and I'm like, I don't know. I don't think we can do it. And she convinces me. So then the idea is that we tell the whole story, just the two of us, and we can become all of the other characters and tell it because we lived it and we know what really happened. So here it is. We can do it. So um, Snow White plays a bunch of other characters as well. And what's really fun about this play is that, for instance, the stepmother, I start playing the stepmother as like dwarf number four starts playing the stepmother. And then later in the show, Kat's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're or Snow White is like, you're not doing it right. That's not how it happened. And she's like, listen, I'll be the stepmother. You be Snow White. And then we switch. So I get to play Snow White and she's becomes her stepmother because she can do it better. So that's really fun for us as actors because um, one of us will get to establish a character and then the other one gets it handed over to them and then you get to see their version of that character that's been established so um it was really fun at the table read one of the characters I knew I was like like you know doing my actor work before and being like okay listen I don't know what this person is going to sound like because Kat's going to do it first so whatever she does I'll just get to (laughs) copy her and so it's been really fun in the rehearsal hall to get to like bounce off of each other and heighten an offer that is that one of us brings the other one takes and heightens it and then it keeps getting sillier and and at the same time better uh so yeah and I play all the dwarfs to answer your question as well so I am dwarf number four and then at the part where Snow White meets the dwarfs I I am like well how are we gonna do this it's it's impossible we simply can't I'm only one human and Snow White's like you gotta play all of them I was sleeping I don't know what they all said so then I pop through and play six other dwarfs in addition to myself (laughs) that sounds so much fun (laughs) it's a blast honestly (laughs) oh yeah I can imagine so since in this one specifically your only stage partner is Katrina Mm -hmm. um do you see a difference in working with one versus multiple uh stage partners uh yeah definitely I think that like I was saying with uh, my buddy Alex, who I did a two-hander with before, there's a certain rhythm and synchronicity that can come out of working with only one other person on stage because you end up so in sync because you're so tuned into this other person <laughs> that the other day in rehearsal, our director pointed out that we've been doing something where one of us will make an offer like do something as an actor and then the other person will start kind of doing it as well and then the initial person that made the offer has stopped doing the offer and it is passed on to the other actor and she was like I don't think you do you two know that you're doing that and we're like no no we have no idea so we're in this like really dialed in focused state with each other that we're kind of symbiotic in a way that it's like I I forget where I end and Katrina begins (laughs) um so I think that's really special it's really lovely especially in this show and the shows that I've done in the past are as I've said really physical and um really fast-paced so to be able to be moving as one and and you know even even something as like 
having a sigh or a breath at the same time is not something that we necessarily have to like set or block. It just ends up happening because we're so dialed in with each other. And that's always like electric magic when things like that happen. Oh, yeah. Did you know Katrina before this? I didn't. No, we met in the audition room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing that you become so in sync now. Yeah. It's amazing. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a great show. Um, so since this is with Carousel Theatre, your audience will, I'm assuming, be mostly children. <laughs> have yeah. you have you ever performed for children before? Yeah, I have. I've done a few TYA, so that's Theatre for Young Audiences, tours in the past. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between like having children in your audience versus adults? Because I feel like they must bring a different vibe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, they're the most honest audiences I've ever performed for, which I love. If they're not feeling it, you're going to know. And they're really responsive, like literally. Sometimes they'll say things out loud and you just got to flow with it. And yeah, it's it's they're also um, in the same way, very, very like open in a lot of ways. So you're, it's just like, oh my gosh, the feel like, like the little tittering of like children's giggles, like, like genuine, like just like not, not self-conscious. Like, I think this is funny and I'm laughing at it is so joyful and such a beautiful thing to get to hear. Like get, getting to perform for kids. It's, it's, so it's such an honor honestly because I'm like oh my goodness you're you're liking it it's such immediate feedback and sometimes not not the giggles but um (laughs) for the most part it's like it's it's really rad nice is there any part in the show that's like a little interactive or is it just like you know they sit down they watch um, it's fairly interactive, actually, mm-hmm. because of how it's set up. It's like a show within a show, right? So it's like, even off the top, when we're when we're realizing that these other actors haven't shown up, Snow White directly asks the audience, like, don't you think don't you think we should do this? Don't, don't you want to hear the, my real story? Like, we can do it, right? And I'm saying, no, no, not just the two of us. And sh- and the idea is we're actually fully addressing the audience and being like. Don't you want to see us try? Don't you want to see us do it? Just the two of us. So uh, we haven't had audiences yet. We're still just in tech week. So I'm curious to see like how responsive they are. And <laughs> we're like, what if they're like, no, we don't want to see the play. We don't <laughs> stop there. <laughs> Which I just won't. <laughs> they like walk out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just we actually want to see this uh this woman try to be seven dwarfs actually yeah our teacher brought us here I had no say in this <laughs> yeah oh. oh my god yeah so talking about audience feedback you mm-hmm. mentioned that with Juliet as well you kind of got to see you know how the audience reacted to your comedy do you tend to like in the run of a show with the first couple shows when you get the audience feedback you kind of see where they're laughing where it's not working are there any changes that happen once you've already started performing like not like during one night but through the run of the play um or do you just kind of stick to what you've already you know rehearsed and 
not really make any changes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it depends on the show for sure, because um, with Juliet, the other two performers were the writers, right? So we had way more latitude to change things because we didn't have to worry about like they're writing it. So if they're saying, oh, let's change this, like bigger changes, textual changes, then they're doing it. We're right there. We're collaborating together. Um, but still, even with a show that is written by an, an outside playwright, there is, it's never perfect. It's never done. It's never over, right? Like one of the things, the reasons I love theater is because it's alive. So so no show is going to be the same it's going to be rehearsed and, you know, I'll enter at the same places and sing the song at the same time. But if something happens in the audience, if somebody coughs, that that really happens. Like, we can't always ignore that. And, you know, uh, me and my scene partner are going to find different things, different nights or be like, oh, actually, that finally clicked for me. Like, that's what that moment's about. Or um, so it's always evolving. It's always changing in some ways some some in some processes more explicitly by saying like oh actually you know what I was thinking for that moment um we could do this or or maybe wait this beat and and we're having that conversation um as actors and as collaborators and in some ways just because you're you're finding new things in it because because you're in the run and you're feeling more comfortable and you're able to think oh about a moment that you hadn't had maybe mental space for before that so it's funny Ryan who um runs monster theater had a rule that we could only change one thing a show because <laughs> because then if you change more than one thing then you're like oh no like <laughs> which but I would, I, which part was I supposed to do that on? And then also you had to, if we changed something and it didn't work the first time, we had to try it at least another time because it's also new, right? So you can't make a change in, you know, in a, in a piece that's evolving like that and be like, oh, actually that didn't work, that didn't work at all because you weren't necessarily you living it. You weren't necessarily like as embodied in that change because it was new and then give it another chance and see if it works then. Yeah, makes sense. Also, I like that um, the idea of changing one thing per show. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. um, going back to Juliet for a second, you had mentioned that you're um, performing it in Vancouver here in February with the cult. Yeah. yeah. So how do you think both the play and also your characters <laughs> in the show have evolved over the past what three four years that you've been working on it yeah um so I love getting to come back to this play because it it feels like a home for me because I love it so much and I love the people I get to do it with and last summer when we toured it um Pippa wasn't able to go on tour so we hired a different actor called Lily Baudouin um and then she's going to be doing it at the Colch with us as well. And so that was really incredible because I got to do something that I felt so excited to do with a completely different person. So talking about how your scene partner can change what's going on. It was like, oh my goodness, now I'm suddenly I'm getting 
all of these new offers and all of these new impulses because it's a completely different Juliet in the play with me. And Lily's so funny and so wonderful to work with. Um, so that was such a gift to get to like um, do that with her. And also like I've just been through, you know, two years of the pandemic and, and, and life. So naturally I was looking at different parts with, with those eyes, but with a different Carly behind them. And then for this version um, that we're doing in February, we're also getting um, a new sound, a completely new sound design. So that will hugely affect it. The script's going to be the same. Everything's um, the show, the structure of the show will be the same, but we'll be working with a sound designer who's um, sound designed in the past for Monster many different shows and actually composes all of the music. Um, so they're an incredible uh, composer and so a lot of the beats in the play are built to the music that we had before and so I'm so excited to get in there with those those characters that I know and love and be like oh how do they move to this music or or what what's been built for this part and how does that change the feel or what what new little like flick of the wrist or can I do here that will I really love being um in sync with the music like that's the uh, music is such a gift for an actor especially um a physical theater actor to there's to find the specificity of like oh what is happening on this beat <laughs> so I'm looking really forward to that do you think your background in dance um helps slash adds to how much you like I guess working with music and pay attention to it <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, I think also like that was something that we did a lot of physical theater in my training. So as I was giving that answer, I was like, oh man, I sound like textbook Studio 58 right now. Just being like the specificity of a musical beat. Um, but it, it's true. It it heightens everything. <laughs> it's and and to have we have in um Snow White, I should mention, live music played by MJ Coomer, and it is brilliant it's it's they've only recently started coming to rehearsal like in the past like last week and it just already elevated the show so much and it's it's such a gift to have live music so it's they play an accordion and we get to come on as our our spooky stepmothers to this like stepmother theme that they've built and it's it's yeah it's such a blast to get to play and they're there on stage with us playing so even that then it's a third scene partner right you can be you can be in relationship with them and kind of like milk a moment and they'll milk it on the accordion which is so fun that sounds that does sound really fun it's the the aspect of having a live musician work with you I feel like it changes it like entirely because of what you said you can work off of each other Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean I I hope I hope you have as much fun as it sounds performing <laughs> it oh our like rehearsal room is a blast we're just like giggling every day all day <laughs> I love that so much <laughs> yeah so I just I wanted to talk a little bit about uh sewing <laughs> you mentioned that uh you yeah like I don't know when exactly you started sewing, but you mentioned that you made corsets for studio. Mm -hmm. And also in your bio, you do say that you sew. 
And then I also saw that you are behind Recontextiled, yeah. uh, an experimental anti-capitalist art project that assembles new realities through wearable art. Yeah. So tell me about this. How did it come about? What do you aim to achieve with this project? And then, yeah, we'll go on from there. <laughs> yeah. I am not a very good, I'm not a very good sewer, I was going to say, but I, I'm like, uh, um, more sewing is very meditative, I think. Like, you have to be very patient and you have to press everything perfectly and measure everything perfectly. And that's not necessarily like my greatest skill in that realm. Um, so, what Recontextile is, is it's a, a way to combat textile waste in a, a creative, um, generative way. So what I do is I take either my clothes or clothes um, that I thrifted or um, hand me down from other people because I, I pretty exclusively thrift clothes I, I don't buy anything new um I it's I started doing that a few years ago as like uh being like oh I wonder if I could actually do this and and clothe myself and feel okay about it and it's it's been good so far um so so I take clothes that I've worn or that other people have worn that have like a history to them whether it's like a big history or or just like it's been something that I've worn for a long time and now it needs to move on its way and I embroider text on it so it started with just um, some words that um, really resonated with me from Shakespearean text and then from I'm a big reader so from different novels that I've read or poetry that I've read and I the idea is that I kind of like take those words out of context, out of um, their paragraphs and put them on a piece of clothes. And then they have a new, they develop a new meaning, the clothes have a new meaning, and then those clothes have a new life and can continue on um, as wearable art. So that's the the vibe from that. Um, and it started just like a, with a sneaky secret Instagram. Like I just wanted to start it on my own. And I was like, I don't announce this or tell anybody that I'm doing this. And then I started getting followers and um, I, well, I started following people that I like artists that I respected and art um, people that I thought were like adjacent to the kind of work that I was doing and started getting followers. And um, actually two years ago, I got um, asked by um, a wonderful person called Heidi to do the hammock residency that they run here in Vancouver. And that was like, so, so beautiful. I'm so grateful for that experience and for all of the, the amazing guidance that Heidi gave me and the space that they held for me. And then I got to do um, an exhibition of some of my work at uh, the James Black Gallery here. And so that was like the, that was, the coolest thing in the world <laughs> to get to do to share that with people that yeah sounds amazing yeah what was the residency like it was um it culminated in the exhibition with three other artists and previous to that I had and <laughs> having said I was a bad Instagrammer listen to this I had an Instagram takeover of the hammock residency for a month so the September, I guess it would have been 2021, I took over the um, the Instagram, but the month before August 
was my like work month. So that was, I was on the phone with Heidi and, and um, in consultation with them about what I wanted to get out of the residency. And I was like doing my own work um, and gathering my materials to prep for the September takeover. So then I posted every day on Instagram and I learned about social media tools and it was, <laughs> it was vulnerable and exciting and exhilarating. And, um, and then in that November, um, all of the artists, so from that cycle, we all had like a, what a work month and an Instagram month. And then the four of us came together and displayed the work that we'd made during the, during the residency time. That's very interesting. I, I mean, I personally have never heard of a residency like that. So must have been a very unique experience for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are you still actively working on recontext recontextiled? It's a difficult yeah. word for me to pronounce. It is. It's a made up <laughs> word that I made up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. So my ultimate goal, it's I think it I don't know if it still says this in the bio coming soon. Um, but I work on it in my spare time when I can, can, in my spare time, like when I'm not acting, like it's my other artistic pursuit. But the project that I'm working on now, and I'm trying to figure out when to launch it, is um, it's going to be like a clothing swap where people bring things that, like an item of clothing that they want to get rid of for whatever reason. And I say get rid of, but I mean, they want to perhaps like have another life or they don't want to be holding on to anymore because I find for me, you know, we wear our clothes, <laughs> we wear them on our bodies and they have such a uh, sentimental value or they end up being connected to particular periods in our lives or particular events because that's what I was wearing then or I remember when I got this was because of this or even this sweater I'm wearing my mom knitted for me so like that has obviously a, a, an incredible emotional significance but they end up being imbued with this emotional significance whether positive negative somewhere in between so the idea for this next project is um, where people come and they bring these items of clothing and they tell their story, whether that's like a long story or a short story or whatever. And then those stories with the participants permission, I would record them in some way. And then I would take pieces of text from those stories that are resonant or something that's, that came um, that popped up for me and then embroidered those on to the garments. And then those would continue onwards. So that's, the event idea <laughs> I love that idea I'm literally genuinely tearing up that that made me so emotional <laughs> it's so sweet it's such a sweet idea and like what a great way to keep the sentiment as well as give the that item of clothing another life oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I know like when I do you know there's things that I hold on to for so long like uh, items of clothing and then I when I do go to a clothing swap and I think okay it, I'm done with this and then I see somebody that I love wearing a shirt that I have held on to and being like oh my goodness I love this it it fits me so well or whatever and then I'm like oh be free like it's such a it's such a good feeling to be like yes that's what that needed that's what they needed um and so to to add that extra layer I'm I'm looking really forward to finally getting to do that it's been in the planning process for a while so I, I will let you know when it happens and you can count <laughs> yeah I would love to participate in it <laughs> Oh my god. However, I will say as a sewer myself too, I can never get myself to get, 
get rid of things that I've made myself yeah because I'm like I put so much time and effort into this do you relate (laughs) I do relate I cannot yeah or even that like I still have a romper that's not finished and all I have to do is sew the the this like the little spaghetti straps on and I'm like I'm I could just get rid of it or or finish it and yet I'm in this impasse where neither are happening (laughs) yeah I oh my god I have a skirt I made like five years ago (laughs) that I have been meaning to hem for like the past four of it and I still have it oh I you are preaching to the choir here I relate (laughs) oh my god well i i hope the the clothing swap happens like soon enough let's say yeah sounds really exciting i love that and i hope you get to do it more often as well Mm -hmm. if this becomes like a regular thing oh oh my dream would be i mean i live in a one-bedroom apartment so that's also my a little bit of my reason why i why i don't get to sew as much as i like like everything has to go back in a corner closet because there's only and then sometimes I'm running around my apartment being dwarfs so like I need the space for both (laughs) it's common you know common problems yeah oh yeah exactly (laughs) my last question to you was when I was going through your website I saw that you can't ride a bike I'm not gonna ask why (laughs) but um, you know although biking may not be a special skill of yours but what are some some skills that are special to you <laughs> uh, one time I had a dream <laughs> just because you brought that up I had a stress dream that I needed to ride a bike in a play and everybody was around me in the theater watching me and I was like stumbling around and they were like you can do it and I still couldn't even in the dream so um yeah I'll get there one day <laughs> <laughs> do you do you want to learn how to ride it I mean, I can do it. I'm just very bad at it. As a, as somebody who like feels pretty pretty coordinated, like being on a bike, I just lose all sense of my body. Like I just have no balance. Alex, who is in the Dangerous James with me, was like, "No, no, no, you can do it." And we went to Salt Spring Island two summers ago, and I was like literally on her parents' bike, like shaking so hard. And she was like, "Carly, you you're not pedaling. That's why you're falling. You're for pedal, pedal." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." I'm not great at this. I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's like a fun little fact, though, for you. Like no one would guess, and yeah, yeah. I'm trying to own it. <laughs> yeah, you can use it to your advantage for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Just can't get away from you know. If I'm in a bike chase, I'm I'm the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you ever be in a bike? I don't know. Again, these are the these are the fears that happen when you can't ride a bike. This is the irrational thing that keeps me up at late at night. <sighs> oh my god! It's I sometimes I'm like worried. I'm like if I'm getting chased by the police and I have to like cross like hop a fence. I don't know how to hop a fence, but like realistically, oh. I'm never gonna get chased by the police. And also, no. yeah, and a bike, race <laughs> yeah, exactly. or a bike chase. Yeah, we're gonna be fine. We're gonna we're gonna make it through, Sarah. I think so too. I think so too. Um, what special skills do I have? <laughs> I'm only thinking of things I can do. <laughs> Doesn't have to be like you know skills from your resume. It could just be like stuff that that are special to you as well. Yeah, I think I'm a I think I'm a good listener. I I'm happy to do that. I think 
yeah, I'm good at if there's like a bunch of people clocking when somebody's about to say something and be like, oh, actually you wanted to say something. Um, that's something I'm pretty proud of. Um, and I studied linguistics at university, so I know how to read the international phonetic alphabet. I know what all of those little symbols for pronunciation mean. That's another nerdy hobby of mine. Um, yeah. I will say the IPA, definitely very impressive. But also, are you either fluent in ASL or you're... Uh basically you're certified I'm sorry I can't there are too many things going on in my mind and I can't piece them together (laughs) okay I I think what you're gonna you're saying is that I'm a sign language interpreter which is yes that's what I was trying to say (laughs) yes yeah so yeah I, I just finished the program for that um at Douglas College back in May um and if anybody is interested or knows ASL or is eager we really need sign language interpreters so please come join us one of us one of us uh it's very yeah I I'm so grateful that was something I got to do it's something I always wanted to do is to go back to school for interpreting um and learn ASL and then when the pandemic pandemic hit that was like all of you know live performance as you know was gone and so I used that time I was really lucky um to get to go back to school and thanks to the CERB as well. And um, the, the fact that the government paid money out to people that were gig workers, which is, should happen. And there should be more of that university post-secondary should be free. We'd have more people being able to access the things that they want to do if that was possible. So, yeah. And then I graduated that program in May and now I've been, um, yeah interpreting ever since so now the goal is to and it's happening is uh to be an artist a theater artist and to be a sign language interpreter at the same time so it's it's I'm really really grateful to get to do that that's that's so special ASL is really I feel like sign language in general not not specifically ASL but it's very interesting and also should be more common definitely um yeah yeah, and I mean, the only reason I have a job is it's not because deaf people exist. I have a job because hearing people don't know ASL, like because that's why, because there's a communication barrier there, not yeah. because people can't hear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You're taking a step towards, you know, helping that. Yeah. Reach that gap. That's amazing. But yeah, that's that's all the time I have, unfortunately, <laughs> for you. But it was it was amazing talking to you. Thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I've had such a lovely time talking to you as well. <laughs>